Ephesians chapter 2 and Luke 2. Ephesians 2. And put your finger in Luke 2. Not YouTube, Luke 2. Ephesians 2, and I'm, I'm, I'll be reading this in the New Living Translation, says this. God saved you by his special favor when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we've done. So none of us can boast about that. For we are God's work masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. You know, when you get into some realm of thought, some believe that Jesus was plan B. I do not believe, even after Adam and Eve fell, basically because of a particular verse in chapter 3, we won't get into that Jesus was never plan B. He was always plan A. He was always intended to leave heaven's throne and come to this earth and become for you and me God's perfect Christmas gift. I don't know of any other gift so undefined, so unparalleled, so undescribable than the gift the Christmas gift that the Father gave you and me through His Son, Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us, For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. The gift is a perfect gift. It is a gift not produced by man, nor earned by man. It is a gift from God, with no strings attached. Salvation is God's gift, free gift, which is not earned, but it is received. There was a man who went into a restaurant, a very wealthy man, and he went into a restaurant and he wanted to eat a meal all by himself. And have y'all ever done that? You know, try that at McDonald's or anywhere, it won't work. So the guy goes in and he says, I want a private room to have a meal all by myself. He said, we don't have a private room. He said, okay, I'm prepared to pay whatever you lose during this day for business but for so I can be here by myself. And so he did. He took out his checkbook, wrote a check for whatever that cost was, and there he was, him and the waiter. The waiter waited on him and evidently done a real good job because at the end of his meal, he thanked the waiter and he said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to buy this restaurant. I'm going to write a check for it for $150,000 and I'm going to give it to you. And this will be your restaurant. Now, that's a a rather expensive gift. It's a rather unparalleled gift. It's a rather unexpected gift. But this man supposedly took this chain or took this restaurant and made a chain out of it across the U.S. Now, Jesus is, for you and I, a gift much more precious than that unparalleled, that unexpected, un 
defined reason of a gift. Paul put it this way in Romans 6, 23. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In 2 Corinthians 9, 15, Paul said that heavenly gift is an unspeakable gift. What does he mean by that? That the gift, the Christmas gift, the the perfect Christmas gift is an unspeakable gift. What does he mean? Well, I believe, first of all, he means that we have received a gift so wonderful, so precious, so great, so indescribable that no one can adequately describe the gift of Jesus Christ. Number two, it's priceless. It's priceless because you can't put a dollar amount on it. It's priceless because you can't buy it. Now, at this time of the year, and everybody's got Christmas on the mind, and you can throw up the title if you want to there, Jack, The Perfect Christmas Gift. Everybody's seeking and running around trying to find out what you're going to buy one another and what you're going to get this and what you're going to get. And, and money this year, from what I understand, as I Googled it, is going to be 10% more than we spent last year this year on gifts. So much for the crashing of the economy. But all of that money that will be spent on all these Christmas gifts will not come to any kind of comparison whatsoever of the gift that the Heavenly Father has given you and me through Jesus Christ. It's a priceless gift. It's one that keeps in with it and keeping of the spirit of Christmas, and all of us like to give, right? Well, let me put it this way. Do you like to receive? Uh, Everybody likes to give and to receive. Last night, we had the faithful class uh, Christmas party, and uh, Cindy had come up with a little game with M&Ms that gives you an opportunity to share what your most memorable Christmas or gift was like. What we discovered was of all of the people that were post-World War II, at about age five and six, do you know what they got for Christmas? They can tell you, but do you know? They got one apple, one orange, and a handful of nuts. Now, my grand, Joe's kids, my grandkids were sitting there and heard that, and all of a sudden, they just said, and then this person would say, my most memorable gift is that I got an apple and an orange and a handful of nuts. And they were listening to that. And then my wife asked them all this question. Were y'all content with that? Are y'all okay with that? You know what they all said? We not only were okay with it, we were glad to get it. Now, see, some of you that are here listening to that, you think that's just a story made up. It's not. I wished I could challenge the parents to show you just how real that is, but they wouldn't do it. When I was six years old, I lived on Rockwell Road, right off 411. 
411 was about five miles. Well, anybody, first of all, 411 running through Knoxville goes where? Gatlinburg, Dollywood first. We live right off of it and uh, right about five miles from Sevierville County. When I was five, six years old, I got up, just like many of you get up on Sunday or Christmas morning, you run in there to see what you got. And all of a sudden, I see it as five, six-year-old kid, a, a bicycle. It didn't have any training wheels. And I thought, what was my dad thinking? I snuck and got up on top of that thing, and it's a good thing that it was leaned up against the wall because my feet wouldn't touch the pedal. It was a big bike. Now, that is a, that is a gift that will stick in my memory until I get to heaven one day and say, Jesus, uh, Dad, what was you thinking? Many of you have all of these gifts that you've received in life, but I promise you that this year, if every one of you got a sack with one apple, one orange, and nuts, would you be okay with it? Because, see, we're a spoiled bunch of people. We're already planning $80 tennis shoes. We're already planning a car. We're already planning a new set of tars, tires. Tennessee come out on me there. I'm sorry. Up there, it's tars and bars, and that ain't the places you drink. You run from bars, because they'll eat you up. Down here, you call them bears. <laughs> well... Jesus himself referred to himself as a perfect gift in John chapter 4, verse 10. If you'll remember, he was in a conversation with the Samaritan woman, and this is what he said. Jesus answered the woman and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that thou sayest to thee, Give me to drink. Thou wouldst have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water freely. You see, Jesus said, oh, if you just knew about the gift of God, you would gladly open your heart and receive that wonderful, precious gift from the Father. You know, as we think about the perfect Christmas gift, I want us to do it under three headings. One is a promise from heaven. You see, the Christmas gift is a promise from heaven. Remember I said turn to Luke 2? Let's hear it. Suddenly an angel, verse 9, of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terribly frightened, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news of great joy for everyone. The Savior, yes, the Messiah. The Lord has been born tonight in Bethlehem, the city of David. And this is how you will recognize him. You will find a baby lying in, in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. Suddenly the angels were joined by a vast host of others, an ar the armies of heaven, praising God. 
Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to all whom God favors. After the book of Genesis, roughly around chapter 3, man was in a serious trouble. The Bible tells us that Adam and Eve in their perfect state, their perfect condition, chose to fall. And with that fall, the Bible teaches us that you and I, every one of us, when we're born into this world, we're born with an Adamic nature, and that nature is a sinful nature. And you and I, in the book of Psalms, it says we are born in sin. We have a problem. You want to know why? It's important that you understand how important this perfect gift is. If you miss this gift, you will miss eternal life in heaven. You'll get the other side of eternity, but you won't get heaven. You'll get hell. Because you see, this gift is so important that you and I We saw it in Joseph when we see the promise was believed. We see it in Mary where the promise was conceived. And we see it in Jesus where the promise was received. Understand this. With you and I, if we miss this gift and we don't receive it, your problem will be an eternal disaster. When it comes to a gift, a gift is worthless if you don't want it, if you don't take it, if you don't open it, and if you don't receive it. Thank you for not getting too upset with my wife and I taking off last week, not being here on Sunday. We thought a fleeting moment, but... I have to sometimes get this head clear. But our destination involved getting on an airplane. And to be honest with you, I learned two airlines that I don't really care that I fly anymore. It's Frontier and Spirit. I felt like I was in a Volkswagen with stationary welded seats. You get on those airplanes, they talk ridiculous anyway. We're now flying at 25,000 feet. Make sure you take this rubber wrap and put it around your head or this flotation device, and if it don't inflate, you blow in it. How many people do you think dropping at 35,000 feet are going to think to blow in that flow? That's the greatest thing I ever... And, and even more than that, they took 45 minutes to tell it. And, and in our flight, four-plus hours was not even going to go over water anyway. And if we went down, we might have hit in somebody's fish pond. Boy, I'm telling But you know what I had to do? I had to look at that airplane, and I had to buy into it. I had to say, I believe that that plane can get me there, but I had to go beyond that belief. I had to be willing to get in that airplane, trust that pilot that I didn't know his name, never met him before, that he was going to be able to fly me over a 1,000 miles and get me on the other side and land that thing. 
And yet, when it comes to salvation, we think that we don't have to commit our lives to Jesus. And that we don't think we have to trust him with all our lives and trust him with our life and follow him the rest of our life. Just because you believe in Jesus don't mean you're saved. You got to trust that he'll get you there. And you got to open your heart and you got to reach out and want it. And you got to take it and you got to receive it. Because when you do, it will never leave. Isn't it interesting? 1 John 1, 7 says, The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. There goes our problem. You see, we were born with a sin problem. And somebody had to forgive that sin. Somebody had to do something with it. And, And the Father says, I sent my Son. And I've charged your sin to my account. I'm going to tell you something. How many of you would like to go Christmas shopping and charge everything you buy for Christmas on my credit card? Wouldn't you love that? Wouldn't cost you nothing. I might excommunicate you from the church, but it wouldn't cost you a nickel. Jesus did it willingly because he cares about you. You see, to me, that's, that's what the Christmas message, that's why it's good news. And behind every problem, there's a promise. And behind every problem, there is salvation. You know what? If God knew that our greatest need would have been information, don't you think he would have sent an educator? Don't you think that if God believed or knew that our greatest need was technology, he would have sent a scientist? If God thought that our greatest need was was money, don't you think he would have sent an economist? But see, our greatest need was forgiveness. Why? We got a problem. Prior to accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior, you got a serious problem. Because if you die prior to that, you're going to bust hell wide open. You and I had to have somebody to come and straighten out and charge my sin account to them. And Jesus did that with his blood. Do you deserve that? Can you explain that? Isn't that, isn't that unbelievably ridiculous that somebody would think that much of us? But that's what Jesus did. Perfect Christmas gift. Someone wrote into Dear Abby and told a story of a young man who was fixing to graduate from high school. And in this particular community with this kind of, of group of people, one of the things, and you, you kids, you, you want older guys that love this, one of the things that they did is their dads went out and bought them a car for graduation. And he was so excited about that. Now, I never got a car except the one I paid for. And guess what? My kids didn't either except the one they paid for. I passed on the sweet, loving joy of Christmas. <laughs> you parents can be in stress all you want to. Go buy all you want to. But I didn't feel, I didn't feel the burden. I also didn't pay for their college degree. 
If they want a degree, they can pay for it. I did. I, I did. I said, boy, you are hard-nosed. Yeah, I am. Anyway, back to the story. This guy, on his graduation night, knew that his daddy was going to come and present him. And he did this nice, gifted little box. And you know what he thought? He thought that box was the key to the car for his graduation. So he takes that box, he opens it up, only to find it's a Bible. He got mad. The story says he threw the Bible down on the ground, and he walked out of the house never to come back until his daddy died. He was sitting in the living room going over the stuff that his daddy had left behind. And there he saw the Bible. He dusted back the old dust off the Bible. And he he had all those feelings come back on him when he rushed out of the house and threw the Bible on the ground. When he took the Bible, he opened it up. And when he opened it up, a cashier check fell out for the very exact amount to the penny for the car that he and his dad picked out together. You see, if you take this Bible and you open it up, you will find the provision of salvation in it. You'll see that there is a promise from heaven that we have it, and the provision is That we must receive it. Guys, Jesus has done everything that he possibly can to see to it that you get to heaven. But if you don't receive it, it's not his fault. He's charged your sin from the cross to his account. And now you must go to him in forgiveness. The third thing, not only is the perfect Christmas gift a promise from heaven and a provision of salvation, but there's a purpose of peace. Let's let's kind of get real a minute, if you don't mind. You don't always feel peaceful, do you? I mean... When you lose your job, do you feel peaceful? Some do. Some, some, some trust is that mature. I mean, come on. When you get a challenge thrown on you or thrown on you, a, a health issue thrown on you or something don't go and it's not going the way you want it to go, how's that peace going? Or there's an adjustment made. Somebody makes a decision and you're the brunt end of it. How's the peace going? This morning, I was thinking about all the things that as this church and being the pastor of it that I, and I got just unpeaceful. I mean, I just, my peace began to go out the window. And I read this text that come to my phone, and some of you may get this, take a minute to get there. 
but you, I don't know if you get different things, devotions or whatever from different people, but this one came, and I'm going to share with you, it came because you, you need to go read it. It came from Wisdom Hunters Devotional. Anybody get that? Well, this one, as I read it, started addressing my peace problem. I said, God, quit reading my mind. And then it said, go to YouTube. I, I didn't, it didn't say that, but I clicked on it. And there was this song that, by the way, how many of you have been to those churches when they do the invitational hymn? They always sing 100 stanzas of, stanzas of just as I am without one plea. Well, there's another one that a lot of churches like to use, and it's called I Surrender All. And, and sometimes we get to looking at that and we say, well, yeah, we've got to surrender all when we get saved. But guess what? You also got to surrender all to follow him. And when that peace ain't peaceful and you're all twisted up on the inside, you know what the answer is? I surrender all. Surrender all to who? Surrender what it is eating your lunch to Jesus. Because you see, it's just as real to live this life as it is to get on an airplane and trust the pilot. And I promise you, the pilot called Jesus that's flying our plane, you can trust. The group that was singing that, we've had here about four times. It's called the Isaacs. And they, boo, they began to sing that song, and I began to cry and weep. Because at that moment, I lost my peace. And it's just like, I redirected that. God, thank you. Y'all may think I'm lost my rocker, but that, that's how I live. If I get down in the dumps, I can't go to people. People can't pull me out of the dumps. Only God can. He's the only one that can straighten me out when I get unsure of myself, especially in the area of peace. You see, Luke 2.14, glory to God in the highest and on, pe on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. For every problem, there's a promise. For every promise, there's a provision. And for every provision, there is a purpose. And the purpose for you and I with him is to live in peace. Y'all know what? Raise your hand if you know what it, it's like to live without peace. Raise your hand. So I'm speaking to people that you understand that. And you're going to go through some things in life that's going to, that's going to undermine that, that footing to where all of a sudden your peace is in jeopardy. Just start singing, I surrender all. And just let him conquer it in you. You say, well, you're the preacher. You, nah, I may be the preacher, but by golly, I have just the same kind of trouble y'all do. And we all deal with those struggles. 
With that eternal peace comes an internal peace. It's called the peace of God. The peace in your heart of knowing that you're right with him and that he's right with you. And that leads to an external peace, which is the peace with other people. Matter whether they like you or not. Teenagers, children, even some of you adults. If you wake up on Christmas morning under the tree and you go running in like I did at a five and six-year-old and there's a big sack there waiting on you with your name on it and in that sack is one apple, one orange, and a handful of nuts. Would you be content with that? Would you? There was a young guy, and he was on the streets. And by the way, we've got some young men here and, that are connected around this church, and, and, they're on, and, and ladies too, and they're on the streets. I see them every, just about every day. Homeless. This one homeless boy went to a police officer, and he asked the police officer, he said, Sir, he said, is there anywhere that I might go that I could get a good night's rest. He said, I'm about to freeze to death. Do y'all think about the homeless when it's real cold at night? You sure got a lot of people around here that I could connect you up real quick you've seen before that are homeless. You should be thinking about them. Police officer says, yes, son. He said, if you go down the street to the mission, they'll let you in. He said, well, what's a mission? <laughs> you know. He said, well, it's a house, two-story house. And he said, you just knock on the door, and you tell them you want in. But before you do, give them the password. He said, password? He said, what's the password? He said, John 3.16. He said, okay. So he went down the street, freezing to death, knocked on the door. Big old gruffy man comes to the door, and he said, sir, I'd like to come in. John 3.16, man opens the door, he walks in. He said, son, are you cold? He said, sir, I'm about to freeze to death. He said, come over here by the fire. And it was just a crackling and warm. And he said, warm yourself up. And, and the guy, the young boy, he sat down with his feet propped up and his feet began to warm up and he thought to himself, he said, I don't know anything about this John 3.16, but I'll tell you what, it sure warms a cold boy's feet. He looked at him. He said, man, when's the last time you had a meal? He said, it's been a while. He said, are you hungry? He said, man, I'm about to starve to death. He said, come to the table. And at the table was a turkey and dressing and all the Christmas dinner trimmings. And he said, now, you position yourself six, six inches away from the table. And when your belly hits the table, you've had enough. He began to eat. And when he finished, he said, yeah, I, said, I don't understand. John 3.16, but you know what? It sure made a hungry boy full. He looked at him. He said, I bet you hadn't had a bath in a while. He said, I guess you can tell. He, he said, I'm as nasty as nasty could be. He said, come on upstairs. So he took him upstairs in a porcelain tub, filled it up with hot water, and gave him a good bar of soap, and the, the boy stood in there and scrubbed himself clean. And after he got through, he said, you know what? I don't know anything about this John 3.16, but you know what? It sure does make a dirty boy clean. 
the man came in. He said, you know, he said, when's the last time you had a good night's rest? He said, I couldn't tell you when I slept all night long. He said, well, come on in here. Gave him a pair of pajamas, took him upstairs to this big old grandma-type bed and rolled back the, the quilt, and he said, now, you get under this quilt, and you sleep as long as you want to sleep. He slept way into the morning, almost to lunchtime of the next day. And when he woke up, he said, you know what? I don't have a clue about this John 3.16, but it sure makes a boy who had no sleep feel rested when he can. The man walked in. He said, well, how'd you sleep? He said, just like a baby. He said, son, when you came in and you knocked on the door last night, you said, John 3.16. He said, do you know what that means? He said, I don't have a clue what that means. He began to tell the boy how God loved him so much that he sent Jesus, his only son, to come to this earth and to die for him and to give his life for him that he might not perish but have eternal life. And he explained it so that young boy would understand. And that young boy accepted Jesus. As his personal Lord. He he received the perfect Christmas gift when that little boy had zero. You see, probably the answer to the question for us, how we really down deep would take one apple, one orange, and a handful of nuts, wouldn't be very favorable. I mean, if we're just getting down to the bare brass tacks of honesty, we expect more. We are spoiled people. Have you ever, like this young boy, maybe some of you have, but not many, have you ever not had a heater where you froze to death? Food where you had nothing to eat? A bar of soap where you didn't have a place to take a bath, where you didn't have a bed. You see, I haven't. I've had my life spoiled. I haven't faced those things. And the worst that I think that I probably would have faced in my life ever when it comes to something like that as a young boy, if I'd only got one apple, one orange and a bag of nuts. Jesus came to this earth so that you might accept him, not reject him, but that you might receive him so that he can save you from your sin problem. He's the solution. Now, let me ask you something. Have you ever opened that gift for you? Have you? You know it if you have. But if you haven't, what better time than here to receive that gift because you can't earn it, you can't work for it, and only Jesus can give it to you. With your heads bowed.
and your eyes closed. 